Section 11 of Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report to the President by the Presidential Commission on the Space Shuttle Challenger Accident. Chapter 5 The Contributing Cause of the Accident. Part 4 ambiguities in the decision-making process during the night and early morning of january twenty eighth another problem was developing due to the extreme cold weather predicted to be in the low twenties for approximately eleven hours reaction control system heaters on the orbiter were activated and the solid rocket booster recovery batteries were checked and found to be functioning within specifications there were no serious concerns regarding the external tank. The freeze protection plan for the launch pad was implemented, but the results were not what had been anticipated. The freeze protection plan usually involves completely draining the water system. However, this was not possible because of the imminent launch of 51L. In order to prevent pipes from freezing, a decision was made to allow water to run slowly from the system. This had never been done before, and the combination of freezing temperatures and stiff winds caused large amounts of ice to form below the 240-foot level of the fixed service structure, including the access to the crew emergency egress slide wire baskets. Ice was also forming in the water trays beneath the vehicle. These conditions were first identified by the ICE team at approximately 2 a.m. on January 28th and were assessed by management and engineering throughout the night, culminating with a mission management team meeting at 9 a.m. At this meeting, representatives for the orbiter prime contractor, Rockwell International, expressed their concern about what effects the ICE might have on the orbiter during launch. Rockwell had been alerted about the icing conditions during the early morning and was working on the problem at its Downey, California facility. During Commission's hearings, the president of Rockwell's Space Transportation Systems Division, Dr. Rocco Petrone, and two of his vice presidents, Robert Glacier and Martin Ciaffoletti, all described the work done regarding the ice conditions and the Rockwell position at the 9 a.m. meeting with regard to launch. Dr. Petrone had arrived at Kennedy on Friday, January 24th. On Monday the 27th, he left to return to Rockwell's facility in California, but Glacier and Cifaletti remained at Kennedy. Dr. Petrone testified that he first heard about the ice at 4 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. He explained what followed. I had gotten up and went to the support room to support this launch. We have people monitoring consoles, and I checked in, and they told me there was a concern. And when I arrived at about 4.30, 4.40 Pacific Standard Time, I was informed we were working the problem with our aerodynamicist and debris people. But very importantly, we would have to make an input to Kennedy for a meeting scheduled at 6 o'clock our time and 9 o'clock Florida time, we had approximately an hour of work to bring together. The work had been underway when I arrived and was continuing. 
At that time, I got on the phone with my orbiter program managers, just to discuss background of where we were, how things stood, and what their concerns were locally. They described what they knew in Florida, and we also in Downey did television input, and we could see some of the ice scenes that were shown here this morning. We arrived through a series of meetings to a top-level discussion at approximately 5.30 Pacific Standard Time, from which we drew the following conclusions. Ice on the mobile launcher itself, it could be debris. We were very concerned with debris of any kind at the time of launch. With this particular ice, one, could it hit the orbiter? There was wind blowing from the west. That appeared not to be so, that it wouldn't hit the orbiter, but would land on the mobile launcher. The second concern was what happens to that ice at the time you light your liquid fuel engines, the SSMEs, and would it throw it around and ricochet and potentially hit the orbiter. The third aspect is the one that has been discussed here, of aspiration. What would happen when the large SRM solid rocket motors ignite, and in effect suck in air, referred to as aspiration, and ice additionally would come down, how much unknown. The prime thing we were concerned about was the unknown baseline. We had not launched in conditions of that nature, and we just felt we had an unknown. I then called my program managers over in Florida at 5.45 Pacific Standard Time, and said we could not recommend launching from here from what we could see. We think the tiles would be endangered and we had a very short conversation. We had a meeting to go through, and I said, let's make sure that NASA understands that Rockwell feels it is not safe to launch, and that was the end of my conversation. Mr. Glacier, who was at Kennedy, came to the center at approximately 7.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. He conferred with Rockwell's chief engineer, as well as the vice president of engineering, Dr. John Peller, at Rockwell's Downey plant. At 9 a.m., after the ice debris team had reported back from the pad inspection, Glacier was asked for Rockwell's position on launch. He discussed aspiration effects, the possible ricochet of ice from the fixed service structure, and what the ice resting on the mobile launch platform would do at ignition. Glacier said he told the mission management team when it met at 9 a.m. that the ice was an unknown condition, and Rockwell was unable to predict where the ice would go or the degree of potential damage to the orbiter thermal protection system if it were struck by the ice. He testified that his recommendation to NASA was, My exact quote, and it comes in two parts. The first one was, Rockwell could not 100% assure that it is safe to fly, which I quickly changed to Rockwell cannot assure that it is safe to fly. Rockwell's other vice president at Kennedy, Martin Cifoletti, described the concern about ice in a slightly different manner. Mr. Cifoletti, Similarly, I was called in and told about the problem, and came into the six o'clock meeting which you heard about a few minutes ago, and at the conclusion of that meeting I spoke with Mr. Dick Kors, the deputy program manager from Johnson Space Flight Center, and he asked if we could get the Downey folks to look at the falling ice and how it might reverse toward the vehicle, 
and also did we have any information on aspiration effects. So I did call back to Downey and got the John Peller folks working on that problem, and they did, as you saw from Charlie Stevenson's sketches, predict that the ice would travel only about halfway to the vehicle, free-falling ice carried by the winds. So we felt that the ice was not a problem. However, it would land on the mobile launch platform. That we considered a problem. We also investigated the aspiration database we had, and we had seen the aspiration effect on previous launches, where things were pulled into the solid rocket booster hole after ignition. But we had never seen anything out as far as the fixed surface tower. So we felt, in fact, it was an unknown. We did not have the database to operate from an aspiration effect. At the nine o'clock meeting, I was asked by Arne Aldrich, the program manager, to give him the results of our analysis, and I essentially told him what I just told you, and felt that we did not have a sufficient database to absolutely assure that nothing would strike the vehicle, and so we could not lend our 100% credence, if you will, to the fact that it was safe to fly. I said I could not predict the trajectory that the ice on the mobile launch platform would take at SRB ignition. Chairman Rogers but I think NASA's position probably would be that they thought that you were satisfied with the launch. Did you convey to them in a way that they were able to understand that you were not approving the launch from your standpoint? Mr. Cifoletti, I felt that by telling them we did not have sufficient database and could not analyze the trajectory of the ice, I felt he understood that Rockwell was not giving a positive indication that we were for the launch. After Cifoletti's testimony at the commission hearings, Dr. Patron was pressed for a more detailed description of Rockwell's launch recommendation. General Cotina, Dr. Patron, you've got a lot more experience than I have in this business, but the few launch conferences that I have been on, the question is very simple. Are you go or are you no go for launch? And maybe isn't an answer. I hear all kinds of qualifications and cautions and considerations here. Did someone ask you, are you go or no go? Was that not asked? Dr. Patron, at this particular meeting, as far as, and I was not in Florida, so I cannot answer that, it had not been done at earlier meetings. This was a technical evaluation of a series of problems, and we talked about debris hitting the thermal protection system and the tiles, and the long series of reviews that we had done that morning, and all led us to a conclusion that they were not safe to fly, and we transmitted that to program managers along with the technical evaluation, quickly, of why we had arrived at that. So much of it is how the question gets raised, because earlier we had aspiration work, ricochet work, a number of things which we did, and then we came up with our recommendation. Chairman Rogers, and your recommendation now you say it was, it was unsafe to fly. Dr. Patron, correct, sir. Two things are apparent from the Rockwell testimony. First, Rockwell did not feel it had sufficient time to research and resolve the ice-on-the-pad problem. Second, even though there was considerable discussion about ice, Rockwell's position on launch, described above, 
was not clearly communicated to NASA officials in the launch decision chain during the hours preceding 51L's launch. At a meeting with Commission investigators on March 4, 1986, at Kennedy, Horace Lamberth, NASA Director of Shuttle Engineering, said he did not interpret Rockwell's position at the 9 a.m. mission management team meeting on January 28th as being no-go. Lamberth said the language used by Rockwell was, We can't give you 100% assurance but there was no feeling in his mind that Rockwell was voicing a no-go recommendation. It just didn't come across as the normal Rockwell no-go safety-of-flight issues come across. This conclusion is confirmed in part by an interview of Dr. John Peller, Rockwell's vice president of engineering, who was assigned the ICE problem early Tuesday morning. Dr. Peller, in describing a telephone conversation with the Johnson Director of Engineering, Tom Mosier, stated, Dr. Peller, That was a call from Tom Mosier to me in which he asked again to understand my concerns, and I just repeated the same concerns, and he asked, Did I think it was likely that the vehicle would take safety-critical damage? And I said, from the possibility that the vehicle would take safety-critical damage, I said, there is a probability in a sense that it was probably an unlikely event, but I could not prove that it wouldn't happen. I never used the words no-go for launch. I did use the words that we cannot prove it is safe. And that's normally what we are asked to do. We were unable to do that in this particular case, although it was a strange case that we normally don't get involved in. Arnold Aldrich, NASA mission management team leader, described NASA's view of the ICE situation and his recollection of Rockwell's position. He said that on Tuesday morning, the mission management team did a detailed analysis of the ICE on the fixed service structure. Representatives from the ICE team, Rockwell, and the directors of engineering, Horace Lamberth, and the orbiter project, Richard Colonna, all considered the problem. Aldrich reported this discussion as follows. Following the discussion of the acceptability of the ice threat to the orbiter, based upon the conditions described in detail of the fixed service structure, and some of what you've seen here portrayed well this morning, I asked the NASA managers involved for their position on what they felt about the threat of that to the orbiter. Mr. Lamberth reported that KSC, Kennedy Space Center Engineering, had calculated the trajectories, as you've heard, of the falling ice from the fixed service structure's east side, with current 10-knot winds at 300 degrees, and predicted that none of this ice would contact the orbiter during its ignition or launch sequence, and that their calculations even showed that if the wind would increase to 15 knots, we still would not have contact with the orbiter. Mr. Colonna, Orbiter Project Manager, reported that similar calculations had been performed in Houston by the mission evaluation team there. They concurred in this assessment. And further, Mr. Colonna stated, even if these calculations were significantly in error, that it was their belief that falling ice from the fixed service structure, if it were in fact to make its way to the orbiter, it would only be the most lightweight ice that was in that falling stream, and it would impact the orbiter at a very oblique angle. 
impacts of this type would have very low probability of causing any serious damage to the orbiter, and at most would result in post-flight turnaround repairs. At this point, I placed a phone call to Mr. Mosier that I had previously mentioned, Director of Engineering at the Johnson Space Center, who was in the mission evaluation room, and he confirmed the detailed agreement with Mr. Lamberth's and Mr. Colonna's position. And both Mr. Lamberth and Mr. Colonna reported that their assessment was that the time it took for the ice to fall, to hit the orbiter, and to rebound, and the location of the fixed service structure on the mobile launch platform would not cause that ice, in their view, to be a concern to rebound and come up and impact the rear end of the orbiter. Following these discussions, I asked for a position regarding proceeding with the launch. Mr. Colonna, Mr. Lamberth, and Mr. Mosier all recommended that we proceed. At that time, I also polled Mr. Robert Glacier, the Vice President, Orbiter Project Manager, Rockwell International STS Division, and Mr. Marty Cifoletti, Shuttle Integration Project Manager, Rockwell International STS Division. Mr. Glacier stated, and he had been listening to this entire discussion, and had not been directly involved with it, but had been party to it this whole time, his statement to me, as best I can reconstruct it, to report to you at this time, was that, while he did not disagree with the analysis that Johnson Space Center and KSC had reported, that they would not give an unqualified go for launch, as ice on the launch complex was a condition which had not previously been experienced, and thus this posed a small, additional, but unquantifiable risk. Mr. Glacier did not ask or insist that we not launch, however. At the conclusion of the above review, I felt reasonably confident that the launch should proceed. In addition to Rockwell's input, Mr. Aldrich also had reports from other contractors and the Ice, Frost, and Debris team at the 9 o'clock session. Ice on the vehicle assembly appeared to be of no concern. Sheet ice in the noise suppression trays had been broken up and removed, as previously noted, the ICE team reported that there was ICE on the fixed service structure, between 95 feet above ground and 215 feet, no ICE above 255 feet. The north and west sides had large amounts of ICE and icicles. The final assessment was made that the ICE on the fixed service structure would not strike or damage the orbiter tiles or the vehicle assembly during ignition or ascent, owing to the considerable horizontal distance between the service structure and the vehicle assembly. The decision was made to launch, pending a final ICE team review of the launch complex, in order to assess any changes in the situation. This inspection was completed following the mission management team meeting, and the ICE team report indicated no significant change. Findings the Commission is concerned about three aspects of the ice on the pad issue. 1. An analysis of all the testimony and interviews establishes that Rockwell's recommendation on the launch was ambiguous. The Commission finds it difficult, as did Mr. Aldrich, to conclude that there was a no-launch recommendation. Moreover, all parties were asked specifically to contact Aldrich or Moore about launch objections due to weather. 
Rockwell made no phone calls or further objections to Aldrich or other NASA officials after the 9 o'clock mission management team meeting and subsequent to the resumption of the countdown. 2. The Commission is also concerned about the NASA response to the Rockwell position at the 9 a.m. meeting. While it is understood that decisions have to be made in launching a shuttle, the Commission is not convinced that Levels 1 and 2 appropriately considered Rockwell's concerns about the ice. However ambiguous Rockwell's position was, it is clear that they did tell NASA that the ice was an unknown condition. Given the extent of the ice on the pad, see photos pages 112 and 113, the admitted unknown effect of the solid rocket motor and space shuttle main engine's ignition on the ice, as well as the fact that debris striking the orbiter was a potential flight safety hazard, the Commission finds the decision to launch questionable under those circumstances. In this situation, NASA appeared to be requiring a contractor to prove that it was not safe to launch, rather than proving it was safe. Nevertheless, the Commission has determined that the ice was not a cause of the 51L accident, and does not conclude that NASA's decision to launch specifically overrode a no-launch recommendation by an element contractor. 3. The Commission concluded that the Freeze Protection Plan for Launch Pad 39B was inadequate. The Commission believes that the severe cold and presence of so much ice on the fixed service structure made it inadvisable to launch on the morning of January 28th, and that margins of safety were whittled down too far. Additionally, access to the crew emergency slide wire baskets was hazardous due to the ice conditions. Had the crew been required to evacuate the orbiter on the launch pad, they would have been running on an icy surface. The Commission believes the crew should have been made aware of the situation, and based on the seriousness of the condition, greater consideration should have been given to delaying the launch. End of Section 11 Recording by Maria Casper